cliffcentral.com. It is time for us to get to African analysis. And joining us um, by audio from Pretoria is none other than Jean-Jacques Cornish. Bonjour, Jean-Jacques. Nice to see you again or hear Bonjour. you again. How are you? I'm exceedingly well, thanks. I'm actually calling you from Limpopo. Oh. I came up here on a story which is not materialized. You know, the locals are having a go at uh, the Chinese mm-hmm. about this economic zone that they're trying to build up near Messina. They're meeting today or is expecting fireworks, and it's not happening. So uh, I, I, I've stopped in Sanin and spending spent the night here, and uh, I'll be heading back to the capital of the freedom-loving People's Republic later today. (laughs) So Jean-Jacques, it is time for an update on all the other things that are going on in Africa. I had no idea about this issue with the Chinese and the people of Musina, but we'll find out, no doubt, in the the next couple of months how how much of a non-story it is, um, because we know that China's influence in South Africa and in Africa is growing. But let's turn our attention to the rest of the continent. It's brought to you um, African analysis by the Johannesburg Business School, and we're looking at all the things that are going on on our continent. Can we start off in the DRC, the Democratic Republic of Congo? What's happening there? Well, Felix Chisakedi, the president, is the current president of the African Union, current chairman of the African Union, and he started a negotiation with one of our favorite stories, the Blue Nile Dam, the Grand Ethiopian Renaissance Dam. He started negotiating or mediating between Ethiopia, filling that dam, Sudan and Egypt downstream, who believe that it is an existential danger to them that they will get less of the Nile water and on which they absolutely rely for survival. And he started in April and and nothing happened. Now, our own president, when he was chairman of the African Union last year, uh, Cyril Ramaphosa, he had a bash at it and nothing happened for him either. So now Chisakedi has gone to Sudan and to Egypt and will end up in Ethiopia trying very hard to get some movement on this. It's it's a huge story, uh, and, and there's no doubt that if there is any kind of actual conflict, a fighting war in Africa, it's going to be over that. That is my prediction. Now, sure. the, at the same time, the U.S. Special Envoy to the Horn of Africa, Jeff Feltman, he's uh, in Africa at the moment talking and talking about that, talking also about uh, things on Somalia, and uh, but certainly the Grand or the great Ethiopian Renaissance Dam is the story uh, or, or the biggest story in Africa uh, for the year. You know, you think about that. Um, the Nile River is such a uh, – it's been – it's been the, the, the aorta. It's been the main blood vessel of, of, you know, civilization in North Africa since the dawn of civilization. I mean, ancient Egypt relied on the annual flooding of the Nile for its own survival and for its eventual flourishing. Um, if we think about how long that Ni- that Nile River has provided sustenance to the people of of the north of this continent, it's just incredible. And now, according to the Egyptians anyway and the Sudanese, this is a real threat to them. How, how much of a threat do you think it actually is? When you consider the geography, when you consider um, Ethiopia's ambitions in that part of the continent, how much of it is, is just political grandstanding and how much of it could actually be an existential threat, as you put it? to the people of Egypt. Well, you know, really interesting that my, my, I loved it when I was coming up here 
traveling up the road, they, we, you go past this area called Nails Flay, you know, and I mean, yeah. so when the trek were coming up, they said, you know, we have come this far, this, and they found the eye of a river. This must be the Nile. And that's what right. they called it, the Nile. I mean, it's thousands of kilometers south of where it really is. But it's a massive river. I've been to that confluence in Khartoum of the Blue and White Niles. Right. And to see that the mixture, it, it, it is, it's, it's quite an amazing river. The most interesting thing is analysts saying that, in fact, the real beneficiaries of the Nile in Egypt are the upper classes and that the poorer people don't benefit, that the agriculture and so on all belongs to the upper classes in Egypt and that the existential threat is to the to the upper classes in Egypt. So it's interesting that, but the fact is the Nile comes down in flood and it leaves this sort of alluvial deposit and, and, and that's what the Egyptians grow their crops on. Right. Now, if that flood doesn't occur, then uh, the agriculture is going to be seriously affected. So it is a major thing. Of course, the Sudanese, they they, they have other water, but they believe that the Nile, uh, uh, you know, that by controlling the flooding, they might be doing them them a favor. But again, they worry about access to this enormous amount of water on which the the vast majority of the population survive. It's incredible. so I'm also I'm, I'm fascinated that the DRC president is now the, the head of the AU and, and he's the guy who has to go and deal with this. But um, there are also lots of discussions since we're in northern Europe about migration. And we know that, you know, Europe, this is the biggest question at the moment. North Africa and Europe are, are locked in, in an argument over how many migrants should be allowed, whether or not migrants should be allowed at all. Migrants are taking uh, you know, taking matters into their own hands and climbing onto whatever they can to try and cross the Mediterranean. We know that often they're turned back. There are many uh, situations where these people capsize in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea and drown. It's a, it's a very ugly scenario. But um, better weather seems to have an effect on this too, right, JJ? Yes, indeed. As the summer comes or the late spring, People feel more inclined to get onto these boats. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, they give up their lives to get onto them. And they come over mostly from uh, Libya and some from even from Tunisia. Um, uh, you know, I remember when I was in Tunisia for the elections, uh, there, I, I went to speak to people about voting. And there were these young people in this cafe. And uh, it turned out that they were going to meet people smugglers. Hmm. And I said to them, but. You know, you're taking your life in your hands doing it. You're, you're young people. You're all highly qualified. Right. Uh, why don't you just make a life for yourself in your own country? And they said, there's no employment here. There's nothing we can do. This is our only option is to go and find a way in Europe. And and, and while I was there, uh, 11 people drowned just off the coast where I was. It was so sad. And this is happening all the time. Now, Lampedusa from Tunisia, uh, from Tunis, in fact, you can look out and see. You can see parts of Sicily. Wow. You can, you know, visually see it. Yeah. Now, Lampedusa is an island very close to Libya, and 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 that's where so many of them arrive. And uh, a thousand arrived on Sunday. A thousand. Sure. Uh, and and uh, so far, there've been eleven thousand this year. Now, that's less than the four thousand last year. And it's, but it's not anywhere near the 2015 uh, peak that, that arrived at the time. Now, we had this 
appalling Interior Secretary Matteo Salvini, who was stopping all the boats and not allowing even rescued people to, to land. Uh, he's now been charged at the International Court of uh, ICC for uh, kidnapping, for actually mm. forcing people to stay aboard a boat when they, they risk their lives doing it. So he's been charged, but he's making much of the sudden arrival of uh, people and, and demanding a meeting with the um, interim premier, you know, Mario Draghi. Uh, so they, trying to improve his case. Do they send? He, he's got legal do they send people home? I mean, what do they do? Do they assimilate most of these people into the population? Do they put them into refugee centers? Do they provide them with sustenance? Do they, do they give them, uh, you know, social security, so to speak? Or do they send them away? Well, they can't send them away once they land in Lampedusa. Basically, what has happened is uh, the EU has paid the Libyans a lot of money to, to get them to uh, effectively coast guard and to mm. send boats back or they get nearer to Italy and to, and to Europe, Malta and other countries. And the fact is there, when that happens, they send them into camps in Libya where we've had stories even of people being sold into slavery. So it's yeah. not really a humane solution. And, and, I, I and mean, so we, there's a we, huge we don't even corruption have, about... We don't even have much of a government in Libya at the moment, do we? No, not not at all. I mean, it's it really is an anarchistic state. Uh, they have elections coming up, and one hopes that it's it's going to improve. But it's not only Libya. There, you know, people. Uh, that's something about our continent that the people are so desperate to leave it that they prepare to take their lives in their hands. And you know, literally tens of thousands have died trying to get across. They come from Morocco, and then they go into Spain. That's mm -hmm. why Spain and Morocco at the moment having another row. We'll talk about it at another stage. Mm -hmm. uh, all over the West Sahara, and and uh, but that you know, they, they they come from Morocco across the short Gibraltar Straits into Spain. They come from Tunisia again, where they go into Italy. So it's 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 a it's a desperate situation. And one that the Europeans are, are trying so hard to get the, to, to, to stem this flow of migrants. But at yeah. the moment, uh, you know, there's tens of thousands coming through every year and, and there's very little they can do about it. And on humanitarian grounds, once they land, they can't send them back. Keep them. Yeah. So it becomes Europe's problem. The, the, the mismanagement of, of, and the desperation of Africa becomes Europe's problem ultimately. But let's leave that alone for a second because we've got time for one more thing before you go. Um, you mentioned elections in Libya, but there are also elections that are meant to be happening in, in Ethiopia this year. Are those going to go ahead? Yes. Well, they were just, they, of course, they were postponed from August last year mm -hmm. because of uh, COVID. And now they've been postponed until a couple of weeks' time, June the 5th. But now I'm hearing that uh, they're really struggling to conclude that. And to, there may be another postponement. There's 31 uh, and nearly 32 million voters. And, uh, you know, it's, a, it's Africa's second most populous country after Nigeria. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's very important for Abi Ahmed, who, of course, is our Nobel Peace Prize winning uh, premier in Africa. Uh, the, the, the what, what happened in Tigray, you know, on the 4th of November last year, there were the attacks on Tigray, and then he, he uh, desperate to quell that, has taken uh, really punitive measures against the people of Tigray. He's facing human rights charges and uh, mm. legal charges. Right. And then he also has Romo, the ethnic area that he himself comes from. 
and they they won't be voting in Tigray for sure. And it looks like Naromo it's not going to happen. So he has grown up problems himself uh, of trying to get a properly re-elected. I mean, his government, which had international acclaim, suddenly at home is under siege. And so it's a it's a, a very interesting situation. When I say interesting, I'm using thing in the Chinese context. It's like a curse. Well, JJ, always good to catch up with you. You you know things that the rest of us don't until we hear from you, and it's a, a, much appreciated. You can fill us in on the goings on of our own continent, even if they're so far north that the old fur trackers would have thought that they had hit the the origin of the Nile, Nailstrom. So, thank you so much for thank you for for making it back from Limpopo or still being there and heading back. And uh, we'll we'll keep in touch with you and find out what else we can learn in the next couple of days on African Analysis. That's JJ Cornish and African Analysis, which is brought to you by the Johannesburg Business School. Cliffcentral.com.